0: Now, Very good morning church, good morning to all of you and those of you who are joining us worshipping online as well. Today's sermon title is taken from this uh, very famous abbreviation WWJD, stands for What Would Jesus Do? Now this phrase, what would Jesus do, became popular particularly in the United States in the early 1900s after the widely read book, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? by Charles Sheldon. This phrase had a resurgence in the 1990s as a personal motto for many Christians who used it as a reminder to demonstrate the love of Jesus through their actions. What would Jesus do in this situation? You know, he would love. One popular expression of this WWJD abbreviation were wristbands. I'm not sure how many of you owned such wristbands in the past. Uh, I certainly owned a wristband like that in, in back in the 1990s, early 2000s. It became popular among Christian youth groups. Today, this practice is hardly seen, so if you don't know anything about it, I won't blame you. It's no longer a fashion and trend. Last week, Pastor Emmanuel kick-started our mini-sermon series on looking at how Jesus did his mission on earth, particularly through the lens of John's Gospel, John the Apostle. He taught us that Jesus was energized by doing the will of God, his Father, and that an unlikely person, which is basically you and I, can be used by God at unlikely times and unlikely places to reach unlikely people. And today we will continue with part two of this mini-sermon series. Let me read from two passages in John. First of all, John chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show him even greater works than this, so that you will be amazed. And then John chapter 14, verses 28 to 31, Jesus says again here, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. This is the Word of God. Come and let us pray together. Jesus, indeed we speak your mighty name. It is in your name that we are safe. It is in your name that we hear the Word of God as well. And today especially, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us live, as we learn how Jesus did his mission on earth. Give us the power to follow his example every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, this abbreviation, WWJD, while well, this abbreviation started with very noble intentions, to simply reduce it, you know, just to act always in love, is doing injustice to how Jesus really lived his life on earth if you want to grow to be more aligned with Jesus, our Master, don't forget our church team for this year is still mission with the Master. We need to learn the way that Jesus did His mission. We must emulate Him in other ways. And so before we think about what would Jesus do, we need to learn what did Jesus do? What did Jesus really do? How did He live His life on earth? And from there, we can glean uh, these wonderful lessons so that we can follow with Him on His mission today. First of all, Jesus sees and Shema's hears God the Father. The Hebrew word for hearing is to Shema. Now, in John's Gospel, to believe in God is to see correctly. And so, if you have seen correctly, you will believe in God. It's not so much seeing first then believing, but rather as you because you believe, you now see. And that's why Jesus tells Thomas after his resurrection, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." The world says the opposite. You see, then you believe. But in John's Gospel, for Christians, you believe first. And because you believe, you will see clearly. In the Old Testament, however, the emphasis is not so much on seeing as much as hearing. For to hear is to obey. And the Hebrew Bible has one overarching command, which can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a rather familiar passage. Let me just read from verses 1 to 5. These are the words of Moses. He says, These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Verse 3, Hear, hear, Shema, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then verse 4 again, Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. We all know verse 5 here to be the greatest commandment, right? To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But it begins with verse 4. Hear, hear, Shema Israel. Listen to the voice of God. Think of the many times parents or you know, par- uh, teachers try to instruct children. Did you hear me? Are you listening? And then I realized actually it's not just the parents telling the children. Now, this, the children also can tell the parents the same thing. Are you listening? In spouses too, right? But basically we use this phrase all the time, whether it's at work, at home, and even in church. Are you truly listening? Now, we're not asking the question whether you literally heard those words. Whether the notes, you know, or the words fell onto the eardrum. What we are asking for when we say, are you listening? Is whether they are acknowledging our concerns and more importantly, translating our, you know, our instructions into action. We want understanding, not understanding, but if you have true understanding, you will lead to the right action, also called obedience. So that's what the Old Testament really commands. You hear God means to really obey what he says. Therefore, as believing is to seeing, so obeying is to hearing. If you believe, you will see. If you truly hear the word of God, you will obey. And that's what Jesus did as well. John 5 again, let me read to us. Jesus gave them this answer very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. So he makes it a point to always see first and then live it out. because whatever the father does, the Son also does. And so again, if we want to be on mission with the Master, we must first of all adopt this posture. What did Jesus do? His first posture is to see, to hear what God the Father is saying, whatever God is revealing to him. I was teaching earlier this week on the Father Heart of God and another Methodist church. And there I learned uh, in the course of their training and program that some people had gone for this spiritual activity called treasure hunting, treasure hunt. In this very fun activity, the treasure they were supposed to find were not objects, but people. Why? Because all people, everyone is a treasure to God. But God in His sovereignty decides to reveal uh, among all the treasures on this earth or that place who really needed an encounter with Him on that particular day. So all of us have ups and downs in our lives, right? We don't always need a tangible encounter or encouragement from God, but God knows who needs it for that day. But everyone is treasured by God. And so before they went out to the streets, what this activity does is that the team will be asked to pray and ask God to reveal the treasure, the person that God wants to find that particular day, and then to deliver God's message to that person. And so the team did that. They felt that God wanted to say a very simple message, God loves you and he will provide a job for you. God loves you, he will provide a job for you, so they just wrote it down on the card. Then they also prayed and they saw this image of a man wearing red top, and so they went out to find the treasure, without knowing where this person would be located. Thankfully, not too far away at a nearby coffee shop, they spotted a man wearing red, and so they approached the man and then they asked uh, him and introduced themselves politely, so and so forth. Of course, they were smarter and more gentle. They didn't straight away and ask, "Are you looking for a job?" That's too direct. But instead, they struck up a conversation along the way. They gently asked, you know are there any prayer needs that we can, you know, support you or pray for you? And the man said, yes, please pray that I find a job. Wow. You know, God already prepared the team that they were going to minister to a man who was looking for a job. Of course, in the end, they prayed for the man to find a job. But clearly, God already had a sovereign eye on this person, the treasure for the day, to really reveal his love, personal concern for this person. And our joy, our privilege is to partner with God and see that, wow, God is so real, God is so good. We can be incarnational channels of His blessing and love. God is invisible. But God has made Himself visible through us. So today we also observe witness and evangelism. Sunday, God calls all of us to be witnesses for Him. For many of us, witnessing is scary. Witnessing is scary and I think we need to acknowledge that. But maybe that sense of fear is not necessarily a bad thing. As Pastor Emmanuel also shared with us last week, that fear, that fear of inadequacy can teach us to be dependent on God. It teaches us to be dependent on God, to recognize that we cannot, but God can. So the key word here is dependency. Dependency. Jesus was completely dependent on God the Father, even though He was fully God Himself. And yet he showed us that he was fully dependent and obedient to God the Father. And if Jesus says, as the Son of God, he can do nothing by himself, I think all of us can say truly, I cannot do witnessing by myself. I cannot do this by myself. All the more we need to recognize our witnesses and inadequacies. And again, as Pastor Emmanuel reminded us last week, if you are feeling inadequate, you are in the right place. Okay? That is always be our place. Starting places we feel inadequate. And from God's point of view, it's always better to have someone who admits, I cannot, rather than someone who is full of themselves and think to themselves, I can. God would rather use a weak person than a strong person. I preach this in the book of First Corinthians. You can read it for yourself. So the world basically drums into us this message all the time. Show us that you can. KPI, Key Performance Index, right? Show us that you can. Believe that you can. But God says, Know that you cannot. You can't, but God can. So the Bible preaches a completely different message from the world. The world tells us to show that we can, but God says, No, that you cannot. And that's fine because God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Now, for those of us who are a bit more mature, here's the deeper revelation. If God does show you something, reveal certain things to you, know that it's also God's empowerment for you. The very fact that we receive a revelation gives us the empowerment to live it out. That's the mystery of God. When God reveals things to us, He actually empowers us to do something about it. And then He invites us to join in for the joy of ministry. A lot more to say here, but I just want to recommend a quick recommendation here. Uh, Experiencing God by Henry Blackerby, a classic book that you can study for yourself. There's both the book that you can read as well as the workbook that you can do for your own personal spiritual exercises. But basically, God is always at work And then He invites us to join in His work. And as we join Him in His work, which He already has started, we receive the joy of experiencing that God is real. So, again, uh, recap lesson number one. Jesus sees and hears what God the Father is saying. That's rule number one. Second thing that Jesus did was that He soaked in the love of God the Father through prayer. He soaks a lot in the presence of God through prayer. We read all, all over the Gospels that Jesus would go up to mountaintops before the daybreak or often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to spend time with God, the Father. If you were a disciple properly, you have learned the importance of doing your QT. What does QT stand for? Quiet time, right? But today I want to challenge us to redefine quiet time as quality time. Okay? I mean, there is a place for quiet, silent solitude is important, so we're not distracted from the voices of the world, uh, things around us. So that quiet is still there. But it's not just enough to be quiet, but to reframe our understanding that prayer is quality time with the Lord. Yes, prayer includes telling God our needs. Prayer also includes, as I've shared in point number one, to hear God. But prayer ultimately is being in a relationship, in a communion with God. So let us learn to reframe prayer differently, see it as a time of intimacy and an invitation to joy and to delight. So the keyword here is delight. The first lesson, the keyword is dependency. The keyword here is delight. I want to show us our typical approach to prayer using some comics. And to show us our typical approach to prayer really leaves us with many unanswered questions and, you know, makes us very frustrated. First of all, first comic, they all later agreed Indeed, it had been one powerful prayer. So what's the problem with this? We think that only a few selected people are anointed, like the pastor can pray, while only the visiting minister can pray. We think only certain people are capable of great prayers, and that's the problem. The reality is that everyone has been given the privilege to pray, not just certain people. Second comic: prayer is good. Hygiene even better. (laughs) What is wrong with this? Is that while we say we believe in God, functionally we are atheists. We still take matters with our own hands. Prayer becomes plan B instead of plan A. So that's problematic. The next comic, the mother instructs the daughter, say the whole prayer, none of this etc., etc., dot, dot, dot. Now what's the problem with this way of approaching prayer? We think that prayer must be said in a certain way only. Yes, there's a place for scripted prayer, right? The prayers can really express deep uh, longings and it's good to think through what we should pray. But prayer also can fall into the trap of being legalistic, just going through the motion or going through the ritual. So we just need to be careful that prayer is not taken into that the other extreme where it becomes a certain model only. The next one, which I think is the most relevant for many of us, Lord, it's prayer time. If you have anything to say to me, make it quick because it's also bedtime. (laughs) So we mostly think of prayers, asking God for things. And if we are honest, actually a lot of our prayers are very self-centered. And that's not how we should approach prayer. If our prayers are very self-centered, we usually end up with two wrong conclusions, which the next slide will show you. Either we think God is no good or we think we are no good. If we don't want to blame ourselves because we are so self-centered, we will think that God is no good. Or God doesn't know how to use the computer system to answer prayer, for example. But most of us uh, maybe won't want to blame God, so we take the blame on ourselves. I'm no good. God is good. Pastor always says God is good all the time. If the prayer is not answered, then the problem must be me. You see how problematic this is? To think of prayer basically as just God answering us or not answering us is problematic. And so, therefore, I want to reframe for all of us that prayer is not about primarily getting things from God or listening to God about what He wants. Although these are very legitimate dimensions, prayer really is about relationship, quality time with God. So let's reframe prayer as, first of all, a gift. It is a gift. It's an invitation to receive the time to be with the Lord, to find rest for our souls. Psalm 23, right? We like to quote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of us take time to be with our shepherd? <laughs> right? It's really an invitation from God to be with Him, to find rest to our souls, to offload our burdens to Him. Prayer is also more than asking for what we want, it also involves asking God what He wants. In all these comics that I showed you earlier, none of them talk about asking God what He wants, which is what Jesus did. He set us the example, God. What do you want? What are you doing? Show me. And then we align ourselves to what God is already doing. And that's why Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is what God is doing, and we join Him in His work. But ultimately, prayer is a relationship growing in deeper communion with God, our Creator, learning to speak to Him, share with Him our concerns, but also listening to Him. And the closer we draw to God, nearer to God, the more we will discover the importance of listening in our relationship with God. So prayer is a lot more than asking God for things. Prayer really is a relationship with God, spending quality time with Him. Our goal in prayer is not to be more powerful, uh, Whoa, I'll become like the pastor or like the speaker, no. But it is really about imitation of Christ, learning to become more like Him, and intimacy with Christ, drawing near to Him, just spending time with Him. Mother Teresa was once interviewed about her prayer life. The journalist asked, So Mother Teresa, what do you say when you pray? And her reply was, nothing. The journalist was a bit shocked. This wonderful saint doesn't say anything in prayer. Okay, then if you're not saying something, I assume you're listening. So what did God say to you? And her reply was, nothing. And that's the beauty of prayer. You don't have to say anything. God doesn't have to say anything. And the person just soaks in the unconditional love of God the Father, the acceptance that comes from God the Father. That's how we get our identity and security. So while it is true that prayer is not about getting things, I do have to say as well that prayer does somehow in the mystery of God, in the goodness of God, does several things for us as we spend more and more time with God in prayer. First of all, He gives us authority. In the context of John chapter 5, the passage I read to us earlier, if you read it for yourselves, Jesus was being questioned why he had performed healing on a Sabbath. And so he was questioned where do you get this authority? How come you can heal on this Sabbath day when it's not allowed to come? Moses commands us not to do any work on Sabbath. How do you get this authority to override what Moses taught? And that's when Jesus replied that his authority comes from seeing what God the Father is doing. Authority comes from seeing what God is doing. It has nothing to do with your title or position, but whatever God sees, He shows us, that gives us the authority to do it, the empowerment to do it. Secondly, prayer also gives us identity. Children, to a large extent, derive their identities from their parents. Of course, the younger the child, the more they will derive their identity from their parents, but as they mature, as they grow up, think of all the teenagers They want to start forming their own self-identity. But initially, all children derive their identity from the parents. And what does God's Word tell us? To remain childlike. When we remain childlike, actually we're supposed to derive all our identity from God our Father. That we are unconditionally loved. So that's the idea. Destiny. That's the third thing that prayer does for us. As we soak in God's presence through prayer, God, because of His goodness and His purposes for us, He will begin to reveal to us our destiny, what He calls each of us to do, not just for our lives, but also on a daily, weekly basis. And that again also reinforces our sense of identity. Why did God place you and I on this earth? Isn't that the question that many of us have? God, why am I here on earth? And it's in prayer that we discover our divine purposes. I'm thoroughly convinced that God brings off each life with a purpose, that nobody else can do this work except for you. But unless we spend time in prayer, we just keep going round and round in circles without really hearing from the Master exactly who He created us to be. Fourth thing that God does for us as we spend time with Him is security. As we soak in God's presence through prayer, we grow in the knowledge of God's unconditional love. I've said this before. But it's not a hate knowledge, but it goes into our spirit, and so it makes us secure. We don't have to you know, compete like the rest of the world. It sets us free from our insecurities because we know we are deeply loved and accepted by God. We don't have to always try to meet KPIs in our Christian world with God, but simply receive that unconditional love. And so being with God aids us a-I-D-S, <laughs> but in a helpful way. Eh? It gives us authority, identity, destiny, and security. Quality time with have should empower us. I want to zoom in a bit just to focus on authority because that's the context of John chapter 5. Matthew 7 records for us that Jesus taught as one who had authority and not as a teacher of the law. So he had no formal position. Versus the Pharisees, the Sadducees who were formerly taught and educated, Jesus was considered unschooled. Right? He's the son of a carpenter or construction worker, depending on how you see it. But basically, no status. But yet he taught as one with authority. Where did the authority come from? It really came from being with God. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And took note that these men had been with Jesus. How did they get authority to heal the sick? Because they had been with Jesus. So Jesus spent time with God the Father. He got authority to teach and to heal. The disciples spent time with Jesus. They had authority to teach and to heal. Our authority comes not from having a formal caller. Your authority does not come from having a formal caller, but everyone who spends time with God is given that authority to be kingdom people. Now the world sees authority really by titles, status, power, position. Do you have this title or not? The world lords it over others, but Jesus tells us, if you truly know your authority in Matthew 20, you don't have to be worried whether you've got a title or not, and you will be able to serve humbly, because the, the world will lord it over others, But not so with us. Jesus tells us whoever wants to be first must be the slave, the one willing to serve. And the reason why we are able to do that humbly is because we are secure in our identity. We have spent time with God. We know what God wants to do. We know He loves us. And so we go out there fully secured that we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. Yet we go with full authority knowing that God is with us. We can fulfill our destiny. But all this begins really with spending time in prayer so listen here there is no shortcut i teach you this to young parents quality time is actually quantity time there is no shortcut don't think to yourself huh wow i just need to spend quality time with my children that's enough no it is not quality time is first of all preceded by quantity time and so it is with our relationship with god as well to have quality time with god requires quantity time right quiet time is important but quiet time needs quantity time too. If you're just going to be there quiet for 30 seconds, it's not really very helpful. If you can spend 30 minutes of quiet quality time, quantity time, that's when we begin to become like Jesus. Okay, okay, Pastor Anthony, I hear you, but very cheap. How to apply these points? How do I apply these points? So my recommendation following the wisdom of church history is to make the book of Psalms your primary devotion and prayer book. Of course, I I hope that everyone can read the Bible from cover to cover. That's why in our journal, right, every year I give you all a Bible reading plan. I hope you can read the Bible from cover to cover as often as you can. That is very good. But if you cannot, please, at the very least, read and pray the book of Psalms regularly. In the olden days, or maybe now they still do it, sometimes people just give the New Testament. Because the old and new together, wow, very difficult, very thick. Now you give to a new Christian, they don't understand how to read everything, right? But the wisdom of the early fathers or the church, all uh, this while, is that somehow even in the New Testament, they had to add on the book of Psalms. Right? Like Gideon's Bible. They have New Testament, but they add on the book of Psalms. And there's a reason why they add on the book of Psalms. Did you know that the most quoted Old Testament book. In the New Testament is the book of Psalms. And no prizes for guessing as well. Which book did Jesus quote the most? Psalms. (laughs) So this is really a fantastic book. You think the prophets are very prophetic. Actually, the psalmist is even more prophetic. So the Psalms are the fantastic, starting place for all of us, as well as the sustaining place for all of us. Keep reading and praying the book of Psalms. Because in the Psalms, you will find every situation You know, that speaks to us, whether it's anger, lament, grief, comfort, thanksgiving, praise, request, vindication, everything that you need is found in this wonderful book. And so timely. Now in the book of in the month of August, it's Psalms as well. Okay, so if you follow along the Bible reading plan, it's important that we take time to read God's word and in particular the book of Psalms. And you read it, you realize, eh, these are not relevant to me. Exactly, that's the point. Quality time we've got means it's not about you. <laughs> okay? You read, oh yeah, I'm not angry today why I read this psalm. It's exactly, it's not about you. It's about prayers that the people have prayed in the past and the Holy Spirit inspired these prayers. It's good for us to soak in these psalms for our own devotional time. Third, Jesus sets in his heart to always do exactly what the Father told him to do. The key word here I want to highlight to us is exactly. He followed God. Jesus followed God's instructions to the Lord. Jesus gave them this answer again, chapter 5, verse 19. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. That's fully dependent on God. He can do only what he sees his father doing. So he sees what his father is doing. He takes delight in the time with God. And then, because whatever the father does, the son also does. He's fully committed to do exactly what the father shows him. By this, I do not mean that it's not uh, it's enough to just know God's will, but it's also important to do things God's way. Let me say that again: God's will must be done in God's way. It's entirely possible to do God's will, but not in God's way. And I learned this lesson many years ago on a mission trip. And the story is this: I was on a mission trip with young people to Cambodia. We stayed in a village where the people, the children often ran around uh, semi-naked or fully naked. They were on barefoot. All these pebbles on the ground, and so they are feet all under, the soles were all hardened. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that this was a very poor village. And of course, as we prepared for the mission trip, we prepared English lessons, basic English lessons to teach them. We pick up some of Khmer language so that we can communicate a little bit. We washed the children. We particularly got rid of lice in their hair because they probably didn't shower properly in clean water for a long time. We also prepared certain clothes, you know, to be given away to them. We collected from Singapore, probably over there. In our minds, very straightforward. What was God's will? Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry, right? I mean, we know this. And so when the day for the distribution of uh, the clothes came, instead of being appreciative, the villagers started picking and choosing. Like, you go to the sale, uh, sale at the shopping centre. Wow, not nice. Throw. Wah, wrong size. Throw. Eey, wrong colour. No one. So we got a shock of our lives. What? Instead of being appreciative, Y'all are treating this like a marketplace. So what started out as neat piles of clothes, right? Nicely sorted out according to age and size. In the end, became one big mess. After that, we, thought what we went for a debrief. We examined what went wrong. As we prayed, we realized we had done God's will, but not in God's way. God didn't instruct us to do it this way. We assumed we knew God's will, and we just went ahead and do it anyway. But God taught us an important lesson that day, that God's will must be done in God's way. So we, we humbled ourselves, we repented, and we asked God, God, teach us, how would you want us to do this? Some of us felt led by the Holy Spirit. The next day, we were to wash the villagers' feet, to wash the feet of the villagers. While it was very uncomfortable, we decided to obey God anyway. So the next day, we invited the villagers to have a seat while we washed their feet their first response, their instinctive response was, no, 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 no. How can you as a teacher wash our feet? Well, suddenly John 13 became alive. How can you as a teacher wash our feet? It's just unbelievable. But we insisted because that's what Jesus did. Even though Jesus was our teacher, he washed the dirty feet of his disciples. After the feet washing, the villagers asked us, why did you do that? And that became such an open door for us to share the love, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. You see, in every humanitarian aid, you can give clothes. Right? You can teach English. You can do good. These are common to every humanitarian aid and mission you know, exercise from the world. But what's the distinctiveness that we bring as Christians is the fragrance of Christ, the example of Jesus Christ in the way he did his ministry. And so it became a very powerful lesson, uh, encounter for all of us. How humble service swings the door wide open for witness and evangelism. John 14, the other passage I read to us earlier, let me read it now. You heard me say, Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, he has no hold over me. Now, verse 30 talks about Satan. Satan basically, currently at the time, right, is the prince of the world. But Jesus says he has no authority over him, he has no hold over me. But God allows Satan to come so that the world may learn. What is the world supposed to learn? What are we supposed to learn? That Jesus loves the Father. I love the Father, and I will do exactly what God has commanded me. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why did God allow Satan to to create this mess? Actually, it's an opportunity for us to learn how to depend on God. The way to overcome Satan is not human effort. It is in prayer. And then we receive revelation. And then we live it out according to what the Father has commanded us. In the earlier verses, Jesus says he's going back to the Father, but we should be happy. And indeed, we should be happy because when Jesus was incarnated, he was in Israel, only one place. Imagine if Jesus was still in Israel today, all of us had to fly over, or every time fly over to look for him, right? But because he has ascended to the Father, he sends us the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's so great. Everyone now can be invited to the throne room. The throne room of prayer. Because the Holy Spirit has come to be with all of us. We have just concluded the season of Pentecost. Today is the first Sunday of Kingdom Tide. And again, there is great wisdom in the church liturgical calendar. Why? Because after we are filled by the Holy Spirit in the season of Pentecost, then we are supposed to be kingdom people to go out there to advance God's kingdom. So let me recap. Point one is about dependency. Point two is about delight. And here, point three is about dedication. Being dedicated to do exactly what the Father reveals to us, or God reveals to us. So summary again, WWJD, it's a lot more than just demonstrating love. What would Jesus do? It's very important actually to look at what Jesus did. (laughs) What did Jesus do? And we follow his example. First of all, Jesus lived out his uh, earthly mission by depending on God fully. He would take time to see God to hear God, to Shema, what God is saying. Second, he delighted in God's presence through word and prayer. He will spend time really just enjoying God for who he is, nothing about doing things for God. Third, when it comes to doing though, he's fully dedicated to God's way to do exactly what the Father commands. And it's doing so that will enable us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So our fun fair is coming. Certain instructions are given by the church, but not everything. Why? Because we want you to learn to depend on God for yourself. Pray, ask God, where should I distribute these flyers? Who should I speak to? Enjoy the process of praying. God, even if I don't give out the flyer, it's okay, I spend time with you. But if God reveals, be dedicated to set in your heart to do exactly what God commands us. One last note before we close, we need to have a safeguard, a caveat for all these. For these three pointers, it's important that you're plugged into a Christian community so that you don't be deluded. <laughs> you think to yourself, oh, this is what God is saying, I better do it. But actually, you're hearing God wrongly. <laughs> there's always this potential to hear God wrongly. So we need to be humble, be plugged into a Christian community, consult older, more spiritually mature Christians, hear from them. This is what I sense God is saying. What do you think? Then pray together. If there's confirmation from two or three others, then maybe that's truly the way that God is leading. So that's the safeguard for all of us, even as we seek to practice these points. Come, let us pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you have set for us such a wonderful example of the way you lived on earth. Father, I pray you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit that truly we will follow what Jesus did. Draw us close to you each and every day. Help us to see prayer, not really as asking you for things, but participating in the work that you have already begun, that we may join you in it. And Holy Spirit, empower us to be fully obedient to whatever you reveal to us. So again, we pray, help us to be dependent on you, to delight in you, and be dedicated to serve you always according to your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.